Welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Jamie. And today we're having a bonus episode. We've reached 3,000 likes on Facebook, and as I promised, every 1,000 likes we get, we'll get a new bonus episode. And so the episode that I picked for this one is going to be the historical analysis of whether or not King Arthur existed. It's going to be the first part of that series, and the series is ongoing on the members' feed. So I hope you like it, and let's get this going. So this is actually going to be a bit of a controversial series because people have very strong feelings on Arthur. And I think, actually, that this might be more controversial than my thing on the early life of St. Patrick. The attachment that people feel to the once and future king is pretty impressive. We have books, movies, video games, comic books, plays, songs, paintings, interpretive dance. Our obsession with Arthur stretches into virtually every medium available. And to complicate matters... There isn't just one Arthur. Even if we're looking at just the myths, there isn't a single unified image of Arthur. The writers all have their own take on him, and as the centuries pass, the stories become more fantastical and elaborate, but also more divergent. And if we really want to kick this into high gear and make it even more troublesome, let's take on the issue of the historical record. After all, this is a history show. The closest record we have to the time of King Arthur would be Gildas, But he doesn't talk about him. At all. Don't you think that's a little strange? The king of the Britons, who defeated the Saxons at Baden Hill. The king with a magical sword, not to mention his magical companion Merlin. And he's nowhere in Gildas' account. Instead, we hear about Ambrosius Aurelianus. And decades later in Gildas' account, we hear about Arthur's most famous battle, Mons Badonicus, the Battle of Baden Hill. But... Arthur isn't mentioned in connection with that. In fact, Gildas completely neglects to tell us who commanded that battle. And we just have a lot of silence about Arthur until the works attributed to Nennius shows up. But they were written centuries after the legendary battles of Arthur that it mentions. Some argue that Egodothan was written earlier than Nennian's account. And it does mention Arthur, but that's a hardly uncontroversial position, and it really doesn't have much to say about Arthur. So to start with, we'll tackle the works attributed to Nennius, which are known as the Historia Britannum. So the interesting thing about the Historia is that while it does mention Arthur, primarily it just mentions him in connection to a list of battles. It doesn't have anything to say about Lancelot, Guinevere, Merlin, Excalibur, or anything like that. So the connection it has to the stories that we're familiar with is tenuous at best. And over the centuries, those stories would evolve, but it's quite the evolution. There's a lot that gets added in over time. So the question that we're left with is whether or not there was an Arthur, and if there was, how much is truth and how much is fiction? Now to start with, I should probably tell you about my own bias regarding this topic. I'm coming at this from the perspective that I think there probably was a rebel leader who fought against the Saxons, and that the memory of him, or maybe the memory of multiple rebel leaders, is passed down to us through legend. I mean, Pompey was a legend until we found it. Troy was a legend until we found it. Brad Pitt's talent was a legend until we found it. Sometimes we can learn quite a lot from legends. And I have a lot of faith that truth is often contained within oral histories and legends. So my gut instinct as I approach this topic and this project is that I think that there was an insurgent leader of the Britons. So basically, I'm saying I'm coming at this from the assumption that there was an Arthur, or there were Arthurs who were amalgamated into a single figure. So that's my bias. 
but I'll do my best to avoid a one-sided approach and point out the flaws in that thinking as we go forward. So let's dive into what we have, shall we? So first up is our initial introduction to the person that we know as Arthur, as well as his battles. And as I mentioned earlier, we see this in the works attributed to Nennius, the Historia Britannum. Now I say that it was attributed to Nennius because we're not entirely sure who actually wrote it, but historians typically attribute it to Nennius, though he might have just been one of the scribes who worked on it, since it seems like there are many writers of the Historia. Now the Nennian materials were written long after the time of Arthur, in the first half of the 9th century. But you can make a solid argument that this was recording oral histories and legends that were much older than that. And as we spoke about in earlier episodes, these people were illiterate and quite reliant on oral histories. And simply because a history is not written down doesn't mean that it should be completely discounted. Many cultures that keep oral histories tend to develop memories that would put ours to shame. And on top of that, they use devices such as rhyme to assist their memories. Of course, using rhyme to retain stories carries with it inherent risks, such as altering the story to maintain the meter or rhyme scheme. And even if you aren't dealing with intentional alterations for stylistic reasons, over time, changes to the stories can happen as they're passed on throughout the community. So if the works attributed to Nennius are faithful records of oral histories, we still shouldn't look at them as being totally reliable. In fact, we know they're not totally reliable. For example, within the text, it can't seem to agree on the date of certain events, or even the date at which the Historia was written. So it's not completely reliable. And the issue with dates suggests that the Historia itself went through revisions and was changed before it got to us in its present form. So this isn't a monolithic history, but rather it's probably a great deal more fluid and developed over time as dictated by the personalities and culture of both the people who were doing the writing as well as the communities that were telling the stories. And all this uncertainty is without even getting to the more glaring issues, the fantastical elements that are presented as fact. For example, if you've read the Historia Britannum, you probably already know that it asserts that Britain was founded by Brutus on his flight from Troy. Now, there are all sorts of issues tied up with that, but suffice it to say, that assertion really casts a pretty big shadow on the source, since it's just a steaming pile of bullshit. And due to that shadow, many historians have been totally content to discount this text in its entirety. But I think that's a mistake. Writers from this time seem to have blended the truth with fiction quite often. For example, Procopius, he told us about the Germanic invasion of Britannia, which, as far as we can tell, is true. But he also talked about magical birds who told prophecies and stuff, which, as far as we can tell, is false. So yeah, Nennius and Procopius might not be the most reliable of sources. However, that doesn't mean that all of their work should be ignored. Now, in our modern culture, it's a common debate tactic to try and prove any one statement made by your opponent as false, and then use that to imply that everything said was wrong, right? If I can prove that you're wrong on this, I can prove that you're wrong on everything. And in debates, that can be an effective tactic, but it's a dangerous tendency, especially when dealing with written sources from this era. Truth and fiction are just going to get blended. We just kind of have to deal with it. So with that in mind... What do we know about Arthur from the Historia? Well, the Historia mentions that there was a war leader, a Dukes Valorum, named Arthur, who fought the Saxons in 12 major battles. And you'll note that he wasn't given the title of king, Rex. He was just a war leader. So that right there is the first deviation from the legend we will later hear from Mallory. 
And this war leader thing sounds remarkably like someone Gildas talked about. Ambrosius Aurelianus. And then the Historia continues and provides us Arthur's 12 legendary battles, which includes the Battle of Baden Hill, which is Mons Badonicus that Gildas mentioned. And actually, the 12 battles do tell us something about Arthur. So here they are. The first battle was towards the mouth of the river, which is called Glane. The second and third and fourth and fifth were on another river, which is called Dubglass, and is in the Linwis region. The sixth battle was on the river that is called Basas. The seventh battle was in the wood of Caledon, that is, Catcoit Caledon. The eighth battle was in Castellum Gwynion, in which Arthur carried the image of St. Mary, ever virgin, upon his shoulders, and the pagans were put to flight on that day, and there was great slaughter upon them through the virtue of our Lord Jesus Christ, and through the virtue of St. Mary the Virgin, his mother. The ninth battle was waged in the city of the Legion. He waged the tenth battle on the shore of the river, which is called Tribute. The eleventh battle was made on the hill, which is called Agned. The twelfth battle was on the hill of Baden, in which 960 men fell in one day in one charge by Arthur, and no one laid them low save he himself. And in all the battles, he emerged the victor. Okay, I don't know about you, but the first thing that jumps out at me is the prevalence of river battles. You have over half of his legendary battles taking place on or near rivers. And that's significant because it could give us the first hint that these battles might actually have happened. Now, why do I say that? Well, we know that the Germanic warriors were foot soldiers. Not so with the Romans and the Romano-British. You know the image that we have of Roman warfare? You know the one with legions and ballista and Russell Crowe? Well, that was long over by the time that we're dealing with a potential Arthur. Now, the Roman style of fighting relied quite a bit on cavalry. So if we had a Roman-style defense of Britannia, organized by Arthur, or Ambrosius, or someone else, would it look like a scene out of Gladiator? Probably not. War would be much smaller in scale, more along the lines of a large gang fight, and the Romanized warriors could well be fighting on horseback. And later on, when we get to the myths and the stories and all the stuff that we're very familiar with, what are we told about Arthur's men? We're told that they were the Knights of the Round Table, right? Knights, meaning cavalry. Now this is important to our analysis because many of the battles were at or near river crossings, like we said. Where better for a smaller cavalry unit to take on a numerically superior group of foot soldiers than at a river crossing? They'd be spread out and unable to lock their shields together, and the horses could just ride right through them. Also, if you strike at the right time, their numbers are going to be split. In fact, when looking at the 12 legendary battles, most of them sound like ambushes, don't they? I mean, rivers are an ideal time to ambush someone, but also the battle in the woods and the battle in the city would provide an ambushing group of insurgents an advantage over a warband that outnumbered them. That's 9 out of the 12 that could easily have been ambushes. So it's possible that only 3 of the battles, one of which being the pitch battle at Baden Hill, were a straight-up fight which again sounds like a solid tactical choice for an insurgent war leader with a small force of cavalry at his command. Which sounds like the Knights of the Round Table. So maybe there's some truth there. But why don't we stop it here, with the Historia and the possibility that the legends reflect a cavalry war leader leading a rebellion in Britain. 
Okay, well, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me at thebritishhistorypodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me at Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash britishhistory. And you can find us on Twitter. Just go to at britishpodcast. And you can head over to the forums. Go to thebritishhistorypodcast.com. Click on Get Involved and click on Forums. And you can join the community there. It's pretty easy and it's free. All right, we'll see you over there. Thanks for listening.